Thank you. Okay, so now we will go into the speaker portion, and I would like to welcome our first speaker, who is actually, um, who has stepped in. She didn't know she was going to be our first speaker, so thank you so much, Annie. Um, and Annie will be our first speaker. Yeah, I think you have to. Okay. Uh, my name's Annie. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater, bulimic, and anorexic. And it's really, it's lovely to be here. This is, I just came here because um, to listen to the speakers. And um, but it's a great honour because I came to OA 18 years ago <coughs> as a very, very sick bulimic and um, looking for help. And um, it was at a time in New Zealand where um, Overeaters Anonymous was uh, a grey sheet and um, we were encouraged not to identify our specific disease. So it was a little bit hostile for those of us that weren't um, a straight compulsive eater. However, um, what I will say about that is, is I was willing to do whatever and so I um, followed that style of recovery and identified myself as a compulsive eater and shared the ins and outs of my disease with my sponsor. And that was, that was absolutely okay um, to a point. And as OA, I think, has evolved over time, it's been, um, and certainly in my home group here in San Diego, it's been, uh, we identify um, our disease. But we would have speakers come from, um, or members come into our fellowship in New Zealand uh, from the States and identify um, their anorexia and their bulimia and I took great hope from that that our fellowship would develop in the same way um, I, for me this is absolutely my own journey that I'm going to share and um, it may or may not be um, what others have done um, but after six months um, for me a weighed and measured food plan felt very much like the control that I exhibited in my disease um, and I needed to find a gentler way of approaching my recovery, um, which I did find. And what I, I think the pamphlet, Dignity of Choice, is um, a wonderful piece of literature that we have available to us. And so I sought a slightly different recovery in OA that I had first been introduced to. Um, what I was first introduced to helped me um, move from the one meal a day, which started from the moment I woke up until the moment I fell asleep, went, showed me what normal, more normal eating could look like. Um, and it was, that was a huge gift, and it allowed me to develop um, an abstinence and a food plan that has evolved over the 18 years that I've been in this program um, into something that I can work with. Um, and use on a daily basis um, to support my recovery. Um, I um, had been, I started off um, binging at about the age of, it's really hard to know, but it would have been about the age of 10 or 12, somewhere around there. Um, food was my first addiction and um, it was not long before I started to want to control it and my weight. Um, and I purged through um, excessive exercise initially and I purged through dieting and I purged through laxatives and diuretics and diet pills and, and I purged through purging. Um, and I did a, myself, my body, great harm and my spirit even more harm 
and it was just a, it was a daily cycle that I didn't know how to step out of and Overeaters Anonymous introduced me to a way of stepping out of it. I came into the program um, in 1997, in January, and a month, it took me about a month to trust that I could stop purging, I could stop binging and purging. And so my, um, my abstinence date is the 27th of February, 1997, and I haven't binged and purged since then in any way. And it's probably the best thing I ever did for myself. It enabled me to get clean and sober. Um, it was the first program I entered, and um, you know it's been an incredible journey. And coming here to this convention and just hearing other people's journey around this, you know, at every workshop I've been to, I think that I've um, shed some tears because it's just it's a disease that. It's just so wrapped up in my internal, the way I thought about myself, the way I, um, that self-loathing. And um, one of my friends in the program, um, she said recently, I think um, bulimics and anorexics have the, the market cornered on self-loathing. And I really related to her when she said that. <clears throat> my self-loathing was enormous. And to rid myself of self-loathing, I would purge. And that was the way that I dealt with myself, that was the way that I dealt with my life and um, I had never heard of anyone recovering from this disease and so coming into Overeaters Anonymous was, um, was a huge gift and um, one that I wasn't sure if I was ready for. I was 26, there were very few other people in the program at that point um, around my age and I constantly felt like I was too young to be doing this, but I'm incredibly grateful for the, the support that I received from the, the members, you know. They just, just, you know, I could see that they were doing it. And I thought, well, I don't think my age has, you know, got anything to do with it. And I want to have the life that I could see other people having. And I could see my sisters having. I think that was the big thing. And my peers, you know, they were living lives... They were going forward in their life where I was static and going backwards. Um, and so working, starting to, to um, discover who I was through the 12 steps was, was both difficult and wonderful. Um, and <clears throat> you know, the, the 12 steps, I can't, I can't um, imagine my life without um, the 12 steps. No, it's just a way of life for me. Um, it's a lifestyle that um, I enjoy and I want, you know, when the opportunity arises to be able to share with others as well. I, I go to um, a lot of meetings every week and I, you know, I just need to hear this language spoken because I need to um, constantly be reminded of what the solution is. You know, the solution is not embedded in my thinking. Um, the solution is not embedded in a self-help book or watching Dr. Oz or anything like that. Like, I can get good stuff from those things sometimes, but, you know, the solution is um, a spiritual one for me, and I know this, and, and it has to go hand-in-hand hand with emotional and physical recovery. And I'm amazed at the 
at the resilience of our bodies to heal from the damage that we do to it, to do, that we do to our bodies. You know, I, um, I did some damage to my heart. I, I did some damage to my my stomach, and I still have like little hints of issues from the um, from my disease. But they they certainly are very very minor compared to what they used to be. Um, and it's just when we put the right things in, and I don't just mean food. You know, when I put the right things in, um, and spiritually and emotionally, then my body and my mind and my and my spirit heal, and that is continues to happen on a on a daily basis. And um, I had some wonderful sponsorship, and I still do. And you know that I was challenged to um, look at what I was consuming, not just food. You know, what was I? What were the image I was lo- images I was looking at? Like I was kind of addicted to looking at women's magazines and fashion magazines and I would feel like shit about myself every time I did it so um, it was about you know moving away from that stuff stopping that um, external comparison that I just you know I just couldn't stop doing Um, and certainly as a younger woman you know I would look at these magazines and just despair about myself Um, so I stopped doing that and then what a huge difference that made and um, my sponsor suggested I weigh myself like once a month not like 10 times a day and that was a big that was a huge help as well Um, and there have been times in my life where it hasn't been helpful to weigh myself at all like when I was pregnant (laughs) That was the challenge, um, you know, with a changing body. And um, so my midwife in New Zealand, we have independent midwives care for us during our pregnancies. And she said, you know, it's actually not imperative that we know what your weight is at all. So we made a decision to not, to not do it right through. And that, that helped me enormously. It just helped me focus on what was important, you know, whereas um, had I been weighing myself, that would have been the only thing in my head. Um, not any of the good stuff. So there have been lots of little, lots of little things along the way that um, have enabled me to live my life free of that constant obsession with my body and with with my food. Um, I have had um, times in my um, program where I have got um, caught up, I would say, in perfect eating and. Without knowing it, um, started to put a lot of restriction back into my food plan um, to the point where I wasn't eating a lot again and I had all sorts of rolls and they kind of, it looked healthy on the outside, like gluten-free, dairy-free, all this kind of stuff, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but I got to the point where, like, lettuce was about the only thing that looked okay and it just wasn't good for me. And then the, the term orthorexia came into the media, and, um, which, is a, which is an unhealthy obsession with clean or perfect eating. And I totally related to that and was able to start to let go and allow myself to eat um, a full range of foods again. Um, but I, I need to remain vigilant around that stuff. It's... Um, I work in the health profession and I have a qualification in nutrition and it's and I can make my obsession look super like okay um, but I know I know that it's not that it's not okay and I don't enjoy making myself different 
in social circumstances anymore. I used to, you know, must have driven people insane when I ate at their places because, like, I couldn't eat this and I wouldn't eat that and I'd make up excuses why I couldn't do that. And now I like to... I still have guidelines around my what I eat. However, um, it's nice to be able to be part of and not make myself... Um, different or special because I'm obsessing about some particular food. Um, the choices I make today are, you know, in conjunction with my sponsor, and um, you know they're they're thought about and discussed and out in the open. They're not trapped up here in some sort of obsessive mindset um, that I establish for myself. Um, <clears throat> in in um, my home group meeting, uh, there there are a lot of us recovering um, from bulimia, and it's it's hugely it has helped me a lot to hear people sharing specifically about this aspect of the disease, um, and it's also helpful me to hear any sharing about our disease. But it's, sometimes I've just needed the identification of other bulimics and anorexics, um, and that's okay too. You know, it's. A, it's not so much about making myself different, it's just about wanting to um, identify and feel okay um, about the disease in the way that it has manifested in my life um, and how it manifested in the past. But um, the solution is the same, that's the cool thing. The solution is the same, the 12 steps, and I continue to work them um, and currently starting step four again and you know it's um, interesting to look at that and each time I do it it's like another layer I have less wreckage a lot less wreckage than the first time that I did the fourth and fifth step 18 years ago um, but I still you know I'm still human and I still develop resentments and intolerances and all sorts of things and still have to learn about you know keeping the focus on myself and I think the biggest gift for me that um, the fourth and fifth step have given me is the ability to step out of victim. You know, I was very, very over-identified with being a victim to the world. And um, being able to learn to identify my part, if only my part is being stuck in fear, still gives me the freedom to break away from that. You know, and it's, it's an incredible gift um, to know that I'm responsible for my life, I'm responsible for my recovery and the quality of my relationships and the food that I do or don't put in my body on a daily basis, um, the exercise. I mean, exercise I've had an interesting um, relationship with. In, in the first uh, wee while of my recovery, I was on uh, a no-exercise um, directive because I, I could not do it. Um, in, with any serenity at all. It was always about um, purging calories. Um, and I can easily slip into that mindset today too. And I try and be more gentle with myself now. And, and over the years I've sought forms of activity that enable me to connect with my body, not disconnect with my body. So things like yoga has, has been enormously helpful. Um, and helping me stay tuned because one of the things exercise did for me was allowed me to escape reality 
in the way that all of the things I've been addicted to have, but exercise particularly, you know, like loud music and push, push, push past the point of exhaustion, past the point of physical pain, and um, I have a history of injuries from, from doing that, you know, and I've had to learn about moderation and exercise, but also um, I've had to learn about it from a lot of angles, actually, also encouraging myself to do it on a regular basis because I tend to overdo too much or not enough, um, but just somewhere in the middle, and that it doesn't have to be two hours of my heart rate being over 150 and so many calories burn, although I am still a bit that way. <laughs> I'm still pretty competitive when I exercise at times, but it's been a process of... Um, just being more gentle and more loving with myself, both holding myself accountable to do some activity, but being loving enough to not abuse myself with exercise. Um, and it, it's an evolving thing. And what I enjoy most is um, hiking in nature. You know, it, it allows me to connect with my higher power. Um, it's it keeps me centred when I when I can um, do those types of activities outdoors. That's really that really makes my heart feel good, and I tend to not slip into um, hurting myself with exercise. But <clears throat> I remember in early recovery, I was also in um, Alcoholics Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous, and, uh, and my, to my OA sponsor, I would be um, like as if you know, this isn't enough, you know, this is like, you know, it was, I was in that victim, poor me, I have all these issues, and she was like, um, look at some of your contemporaries that have come into the other programs with you, where are they, and, and a lot of them have relapsed and um, gone back out there, and she said, you know, maybe your, um, your food issues, your overeating, your anorexia, your bulimia, is keeping you very close to a higher power, keeping you close on a daily basis, on a meal-by-meal basis, to seeking the solution in a way that perhaps your contemporaries in the other program haven't been able to access. And she's, you know, she really encouraged me to see that I was one of the fortunate ones, not one of the not one of the condemned ones, and that really helped me a lot. And I, I didn't really believe it, but I do now. You know, I do now um, in my um, 40s, and I have um, had the huge honour of being in recovery for pretty much all of my adult life. Um, and I do feel like one of the fortunate ones. You know, I get to have a life that I couldn't imagine. You know, I get to feel good about myself. I... I have a husband who's here supporting me, whom I love very much, and I have friends, and one of them who's here from New Zealand, and you know, I, and my family relationships are good, even though I'm halfway around the world from them currently. You know, they're good because I, I choose to maintain a loving connection with them, and that's not something that I could maintain in my disease. It consumed me. And today I, I enjoy connecting with my family and they enjoy connecting with me and I think they enjoy that I'm not so messed up. <laughs> they didn't care what I was doing. They were just happy that I was something was working. And Overeaters and Otters continues to work no matter how our disease presents ourselves. So thank you very much for letting me share.
so much, Annie. Thank you. That was wonderful. Uh, just a reminder for those who just came in, uh, apparently this microphone has been lowered because it was too loud at the last session. So if you can't hear, um, please come forward and sit closer to the front. Also, we're going to get the Ask It Basket going around again. And let's just keep it circulating because we have different speakers. Um, and people might think of different questions as you hear them. So our next speaker will be Dina B. And it's my pleasure to introduce her. Thank you. Thank you, Jane. Can people hear me? Okay. I'm Dina, compulsive overeater and anorexic. Hi. And um, Katie, I wonder, I'm going to try to speak for 20 minutes, so if you could just give me a 10-minute warning. So the first half of my share will be my qualification and a little bit about my story and what I was like before. And then the second half will be the tools I use in recovery and kind of my life since I've been in recovery because I'm, I'm very young in the program. I just, with the grace of my higher power, I just turned three um, recently. And the way that I found OA and came into the rooms was that I, I happen to be uh, bipolar and I've suffered depression most of my life. And, and what that means is I've uh, been suicidal most of my life and I just didn't realize it. So I've dealt with a lot of issues and some of what I'm going to talk about will have to do with my extremely negative body image and sexuality. Um, but anyway, I was, I have a wonderful therapist now. And when I had gotten to a certain point, he said, and I was, I had gotten heavier than I am now. And well, I'm kind of in between where I've been heavier and I've been, I've been uh, lighter. So right now the, the diseased part of me thinks I am very, very, very huge. And so that's part of my recovery a day at a time. I think, you know, I have to get comfortable with being in my own skin. But anyway, uh, I was starting to lose weight. And so I was at that point where I was continuing to lose weight and I kept going. And he said, okay, don't you think you can start now? Because you're starting to get kind of squirrely. And I said, well, you know, just give me another month because I want to lose another five pounds and then I'll feel right, you know, and, and then I kept doing that to him. And he said, uh-uh, you need to go to Overeaters Anonymous. And then I said, wait a minute, isn't that for people who are trying to lose weight and I'm trying to lose weight? And he said, no, it's for people who have any kind of uh, issue with food or eating behaviors or eating disorder. And I said, okay, whatever. And so I thought I'd go to a meeting and be able to prove him wrong. And as soon as I walked into the rooms and I heard a few shares, I realized that this was the place that I belonged and, and it really did feel like um, being welcomed home. And I was also extremely fortunate because I found a sponsor there. I went to a newcomers meeting and she hugged me and I'm like, get away from me. You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm here to sit in the back of the room and judge everybody and then just run out, you know, like I usually do. But she hugged me and, you know, I just, and she followed up with me and so she became my sponsor. And so I worked very hard with her and she would not let me claim abstinence uh, till at least six months into the 
into the program because I kept losing weight. And one of the things I was doing, I was on a commercial, one of those commercial weight loss diets, and I was really, really afraid to get off of that diet and start eating normal food because I was afraid that if I weren't continuing to lose a pound a week, that all of a sudden, overnight, I'd wake up and I would have gained 10 pounds. So I was very obsessive about weighing and doing all of those crazy things. So uh, just to back up a little bit and um, tell, you, tell you my story briefly, um, my first, the first word I ever said was cookie, so I think I really did have issues around food, and sugar especially made me feel very, very comfortable and very nurtured, and my parents were very young. Um, <laughs> Um, my mother was my mother was this very beautiful Asian woman, and my dad was this um, he was he was a white man, so technically I was a product of an interracial marriage and so I d- just recently learned what covert incest is emotional incest, and that 's where um, the the violating parent does not actually act out on it physically but they do other things that make you feel invaded and violated and raped. So, uh, so that was how I felt around my dad for you know many many years, you know, up, um, I guess up through college years. And so my mom was very young and she didn't know how to deal with it. So she was very jealous. And so she, so, and I, and, you know, my dad is gone and you know and I've made peace with him and I love my mom so they were doing the best they could you know they you know I haven't suffered anything as horrific as many people whom I've met in program and out of program who actually have been physically molested beaten up and stuff like that but I was physic I was physically and verbally and emotionally abused so um that kind of fed into a perfectionism, and I thought that I didn't deserve to be on this earth unless I could be absolutely um, the best person, the best kid in the room. I had to go around and fix everybody's problems. Um, I had to apologize for my existence. I knew my mother was jealous of me, so I tried, you know, I tried to relate to her in a way so that she wouldn't feel threatened by me, and. Um, and I felt guilty for, for being the way I did. So um, I guess I just got into self-punishing really early. And when I became a little bit older, um, I started starving, starving myself. And, and that was kind of a way that I got my mom's approval for some reason. And... Um, and I wasn't really overweight at the time, but I made myself skinnier. And by the time I was in college, I was really worried because I, I was going around judging myself adversely as compared with other people, um, with other women. So I thought I was extremely ugly and that every other woman was just absolutely gorgeous. And I didn't know how to make myself as gorgeous as them. And I imagined that they didn't have the self-esteem problems that I did. You know, I was obviously judging um, my insides based on their outsides, whatever whatever the saying is. And, and I really wanted guys to notice me and to like me. 
and the, they probably did, but I was, you know, too wrapped up in myself and too engrossed um, to even notice it. So I didn't have a very active dating life, and um, and so I thought, well, it's probably because I'm too fat and I'm too gross. So I just con- continued this cycle into college of not eating very much, and then I got roommates who also had eating disorders um, and used to do things like, you know, we'd go out to restaurants and bring food home, and then um, uh, one of my roommates would, you know, she'd heat up her, she'd want to take her food out, and then she'd actually weigh it on a kitchen scale we had, and if it was an ounce lighter, she'd accuse our other roommate, you know, of stealing food and stuff like that. So it probably wasn't the the healthiest environment. But, you know, we all started being very obsessive about measuring and and, um, recording what we ate. So I started going, like, on these 300-calorie diets and things, you know, and exercising a lot, although I must admit I wasn't – I never got obsessive about exercising. You know, for me it was just about starving and restricting. And – so um, the thing about, I'm also a compulsive overeater, so I would kind of yo-yo between binging and starving. And so I would go through a binge, and then I would feel remorseful about it, and then, and then starve myself for a long time. And um, so I would spend periods being heavy and periods being very, very thin, and... I felt I felt the safest and the best when I was very thin, and I felt that I was being righteous um, religiously. And the way that I knew that I was doing the right thing was if I, you know, if I felt pain all throughout my body and I could hardly walk, you know, and and I remember, you know, almost fainting and things like that. So. I went through many, many periods of that as as a young adult and even, you know, even after I was married and had my sons, you know, I was very heavy, but, but then I got back into it again a few years later because it's a progressive disease. And, um, oh, good, okay. <laughs> All right. And um, when I was very, very thin, I... I was incapable of having relationships with men because I was just, I was so physically run down. I had no sexual desire for men. You know, all I cared about was food. So I would read recipe books. I would collect clippings out of newspapers. I would dream about food at night. Um, so going back to, and I'm sorry, this is this is all over the place, but I went into the rooms and I immediately felt like I belonged, and and I understood that no matter what we looked like on the outside, we all suffer from a lot of the same issues. Um, and, and I understood that I had been an isolator most of my life. So, so that part was challenging to me. Making reach-out calls was very challenging to me, and I still have issues with that. Uh, so I do admit that, but I loved, I loved the support of working with a sponsor. One of the best things that helped me right away was joining a weekly step study group. Um, again, another thing that I really didn't want to do. It was, um, 
it wasn't that far away from where I lived. Now it, it now it is, but I thought these people aren't like me. I don't have anything in common, you know. And I was so full of attitude. And then I went, and it was like these people are wonderful, you know. They get it, you know. Just just go back a few times and see if you like it. So we progress um, through the through each of the steps and each of the traditions in the big book, the OA 12 and 12, and the AA 12 and 12, and you, you do it for a year, and then you can go back if you want. And So this is the fifth year I've repeated it, and I've just grown to know and love the people, and there's a core group of people and others who come in and go out, and I've met so many wonderful people. Um, I've done a big book awakening. I'm in the, my second year of doing a big book awakening, and that is really amazing because it's very intense and it gives you a very deep understanding of the big book and all the dynamics involved. I go to a lot of meetings. There are some meditation and writing meetings that I have found to be very useful. I love the writing. I don't do enough of it. I've been hearing some wonderful things from some of the other workshops today and I'm just blown away by the discipline some people show. I'm, I, you know, I, I feel ashamed, you know, because I, I don't do nearly as much as some people do. So I think my commitment could, um, could really stand to be ramped up. But uh, one of the things that I do is service, and I've gotten involved in a, in a lot of things. And I actually volunteered to be literature chair for my inner group, and I didn't realize that that also automatically made me a board member. So I'm like, what? (laughs) So I have to go to that too. So it's kind of stumbling into things and not saying no to the opportunities that my higher power gives me. And, you know, if I had to say the biggest, the biggest, most powerful tool of working the program is, is realizing that this is a spiritual program of recovery. And that distinguishes Overeaters Anonymous from any diet plan, you know, any symptomatic fix, because this is this is recovery and this is healing from the inside out. So no matter, I think no matter what you look like on the outside, and I realize a lot of people have released a lot of weight or they've put on weight, you know, in my case I've put on some weight. I think it's I think it's just a miracle of getting getting you to live in this world and to not be afraid of people, to approach other people with love, to be able to understand other people and to to get off your uh, you know, to get the chips off your shoulder. You know, I've learned that I'm not in control of this universe. I'm not the one who's gonna go around and fix people, fix things. You know, it sure didn't work out when I tried to control other people, you know, which was most of my life. Um, I've, I'm learning that God's in control. And um, when, when things are happening that upset me, then that's, that's kind of like a direct message from my higher power. You know, what, you know, especially when people are pissing me off about something, and I'm thinking, boy, that person is you know, really arrogant or whatever, then it's like, okay, and where have you been arrogant? You know, maybe in the last five minutes. <laughs> so so that's one of the gifts I've gotten. And 
Um, another thing is just the fellowship of people. And, oh, my, um, my eating plan is uh, three meals a day, no, no skipping, and two snacks in between. And I have a list of taboo foods. Um, I do eat sugar and flour in moderation. That hasn't been a problem for me. But I do know that if I eat certain foods, that will just trigger me into an eating binge. So, I mean, just just one is too much. So I just don't even go there. Um, I also don't drink alcohol anymore or do recreational drugs. And because that just makes me use poor judgment. And... I, do, I just don't don't want to go there, and um, it's not a perfect plan, um, but for me, it's good enough right now, and I have the whole rest of my life, you know, to work on what I'm what I'm doing with with my food. Um, I email it in to my sponsor, and I have a food sponsor as well, and. Um, I don't have a I don't have any sponsees right now, although I've been in program a while because my therapist um, has been recommending um, that I just uh, wait wait a little bit while longer, you know, because I tend I tend to be very codependent, and I would blame my thank you I would blame myself if they you know if they went off program or something, and I've talked about that with my sponsor, and she said, look whether they stay with program or go off program, you're not that powerful. You know, they're going to do what they're going to do anyway. So, um, and I've also heard that sponsorship is a gift to yourself, really. You know, I've heard that consistently from everyone who's received a reach-out call or sponsored someone, that it's a gift to them, you know, even more so than to the person who did it. So, anyway, thank you. Thank you for listening. Great, thanks. Okay, some real good stuff here. Our last but not least speaker is Regina. So let's welcome Regina. Thank you, Jane. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Regina, and I'm a recovered compulsive eater. I'm also recovered from bulimia and hopefully from orthorexia. How many people here know what orthorexia is? I should do the opposite. How many here don't know what orthorexia is? Um, Orthorexia perhaps is not a real word in the dictionary. However, um, in popular usage, orthorexia is um, an obsession with eating healthy. And um, I have a lot of that in my history. And um, Orthorexia is the easiest of um, the three eating disorders I have to recover from. All you have to do really is uh, lighten up a little bit in that perfect eating. Uh, and uh, it's um, Okay. So um, I um, compulsively overate for five years, and I was like a locust in my eating behaviors, like wherever I was, I would like vanquish. You know, I would maybe leave like the mustard or something. <laughs> um, yeah, I started out um, overeating on um, trail mix and yogurt, and I ended up, 
you know, at 7-Eleven um, on whatever they have and a lot of it. I remember walking, not having a car and walking to a supermarket and buying ice cream and walking home through dark alleys at night eating it with my hands. You get the picture. Um, after five years and getting quite um, plump, and um, I thought I invented bulimia, and you know this, I've been coming to OA since the seventies, so it was a while ago. Um, and so then I had five years of really out of control, vomiting, um, binging, and vomiting, um, so bad. You know, I would try to go to a social event and I would like stop so many times to binge and then to find a bathroom and binge and find a bathroom or throw up in containers and have to dispose of the, whatever. Um, That I would like give up and not go to the social event. It was very rough. And somewhere in there, I started going to Overeaters Anonymous and really enjoying the um, fellowship component and that I wasn't the only one that um, binged. Um, there weren't many bulimics, but um, I went to Overeaters Anonymous for seven years without any recovery at all. So, you know, maybe three days or three weeks. I don't think I ever got a 30-day token. So what happened then in 1986, I heard about a recovery home, not professionally run, very unprofessionally run, but um, it was in uh, Desert Hot Springs. And I um, immediately checked myself in and spent almost four months there. In that recovery home, um, I learned to identify my feelings. We were um, required to do a lot of service. And I was told what my plan of eating would be. Because in Overeaters Anonymous, we have this mixed blessing, in my opinion, that we can choose our own plan of eating. And I would like change it like multiple times every day. So they said there that everybody was going to eat three meals a day. And they didn't care what you drank in between. I mean, not alcohol. but um, And so I was there about four months. And I have not gone back to purging since August of 19... 19- um, what did I say? 86. However, um, compulsive eating has been more challenging. So for about the next 25, 30 years, I um, was an active member of Overeaters Anonymous, considered that my aftercare and worked the steps and did everything we do, went to meetings, did service, um, got married, got my master's degree, got a normal job, had a baby, bought a home, you know, just normal milestones. But there was a constant um, eating too much at meals that kind of made me feel dirty <laughs> or fr- like a fraud. And um, about five years ago, I decided that some of those big meals were really little binges. So um, I changed my abstinence date. Um, and I usually don't share about my bulimia abstinence date, but um, just share that I have five years of recovery from compulsive eating. So um, I think that um, five years ago when I changed my abstinence date, I, um, you know, I really 
work the steps as hard as I could one more time with a new sponsor. And and I'm always, I really like Overeaters Anonymous, so I'm always, like, wanting to, like, improve my recovery and, and get more freedom from compulsive eating. So um, what happened one year ago was something really life-changing that I, I'd really want, want to share about. And... Um, you know, I kind of figured out that the big book was this really cool book that I um, I would benefit from studying more in depth. And I heard about big certain big book studies, which I tried. And then so I was like fooling around online, and I found out that in OA, there are big book study meetings that are phone meetings. And there's a variety of them with different names. Um, one is a vision for you, another's hour of power, OA Big Book Solution Group, Primary Purpose Group of OA, OA Primary Purpose Group. <laughs> so um, I sort of had fun checking them out, and um, I came across a common theme of people who were working the steps out of the Big Book and not paying attention to food. Um, the way we do traditionally in most OA meetings with um, food plans. So um, I love to use myself in a, as a guinea pig, and I, um, I worked the steps the past year three different times in three of these different groups. And um, the first group I had to leave because they wouldn't let me experiment with the second group. You know, you could only have one sponsor like that, so... Then the second group I had to leave because the sponsor was, like, mean. And then the third group, like, little Goldilocks, you know, was just right. The sponsor's really loving but direct. And um, she told me that the plan of eating was uh, eat to nourish your body. Um, and uh, that's been the theme whenever I've talked to her about food. Is it, what's the purpose because uh, everyone else is having it for this, for that. There's only one purpose. It's Food is to nourish your body. And um, Actually, it's been a useful guideline. And so I worked the steps three times in the last year, and the huge two big things happened. I really came to understand our problem, my problem, our problem. As it talks about in the doctor's opinion, my problem is that when I start compulsively eating, I can't stop. I cannot say, I'm just going to go for it at this party and I'll start tomorrow. That's a lie. When I start, I cannot predict when I'll stop. And should I get stopped, I can't not start again. So even if I get it, a certain amount of time, I'll start again. And um, that's because the mental obsession is um, the primary problem I have. It's not the physical allergy. And I, for me, the physical allergy is an abnormal reaction when I compulsively eat, I don't know when I'm going to stop. So um, I really have, um, I work the steps to, um, so I can get freedom from the mental obsession, and I have. And um, other than really understanding the problem, step one, in a different way, what I've learned is um, how to do the tenth step. Because, you know, I was in OA for 30 years and never got it. So um, I'll just like to share about that briefly, and then I'll stop talking. Um, 
I didn't bring my big book, but um, you guys can help me out. I think it says something like, continue to watch for selfishness, self-centeredness, dishonesty, and fear. When these crop up, we ask God at once to remove them and make amends promptly if we... No. We ask God at once to remove them. We share about this with someone and then make amends promptly. If we have harmed anyone, then we turn our thoughts to someone we can help. So... I kind of knew of that, but I, um, I'd never like taken it literally, like, like all day long do that and like stop and tell someone, um, and then turn my thoughts to someone I can help. Like, what does that mean? What if I'm dizzy? Uh, so one of my my first sponsors said that someone told her she could pick up some trash. <laughs> and um, when I'm busy, I just say a prayer for someone. Um, that The whole process of doing a 10th step takes like, if I use do it on the phone, it takes like a minute. Hi, this is Regina. I'm, I'm f- afraid. <laughs> I've already prayed and asked God to remove it. There's no amends due. Now I'm going to call... Susan, whose father is sick and is having a hard time. For some reason, at first I had to do this like six, eight times a day, especially because I get into a lot of fear when I'm not feeling well and I have some pain issues. So I'll be doing it all day long. I'm in pain. This is Regina, I'm afraid. (laughs) But um, what's happened um, is I don't have to do these 10 steps probably a couple times a week. And... um, so that, along with um, an evening review and a, mor- a brief morning meditation, really literally out of the big book, you could knock that puppy out in two minutes if you do the minimum, um, has given me the, um, the connection with my higher power that I've been looking for all these years in a way. So I look forward to answering your questions, and thank you very much. Thank you. Let's give our speakers a, a real good round of applause. Thank you. Okay, um, there is an Ask It Basket around somewhere. If we could get that to the front, and we'll go ahead. Can you time 10 minutes on this? Thank you. And uh, much thanks to Katie for doing all this fabulous timing at the last minute. Okay, so here we go. Um, this is for the second speaker, so I guess that's Dina. Are you more comfortable with your sexuality now? <laughs> that's, a gr- <laughs> that's a great question. Actually, I'm working on it. Um, let's see. I'm trying to filter. I don't want to give too much information, but um, I am much more comfortable with my body, and so I think as a natural consequence of that, I am more I am continuing to get more comfortable with my sexuality. Um, I just, it's funny, I think it's useful every now and then to do a before and after. So recently I was doing, you know, um, 
I, I caught a glimpse of myself in the mirror, and I didn't automatically think, you know, oh, you, you know, horrible Quasimodo. You know, I actually thought, oh, you know, you look pretty good, you know, for your age. And, you know, that doesn't sound like, you know, a ringing endorsement, but for me, that's real progress. And so... Um, so I like to do a before and after. You know, I wouldn't have been able, been capable of that a year ago. And I think it just comes from, you know, working the steps and not worrying too much about, you know, physical, physical issues or whatever. You know, just kind of take your mind off it for a while, and and it will come. And I have, um, I have a new boyfriend, and he doesn't seem, he doesn't seem to think I'm repellent. So I, you know, I think, you know, so it's just kind of, you know, real hands on it. Well, not hands. <laughs> you know, just doing working the program and just taking t- getting out of my head. So, thank you, thank you. I hope I answered the question. Okay, thank you. Okay, this is directed at Annie. Um, if dairy, gluten, sugar-free is best for my health, how do I balance this with being social? I may need to abstain from certain foods, but I don't want to be orthorexic. How do I know when I am being orthorexic? Yes, certainly. Um, what what I know for me um, is that I still have some of those guidelines because they're best for my digestive system after the damage I did from my bulimia. And what I know is that I bring God into it and I don't make people run around after me getting foods that I need. I make sure that I tend to... Um, tend to uh, look after myself. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a shift in attitude for me. It's about um, I'm not so entitled with all of that. When I'm orthorexic, you know, I'm like, it's, it's my way or no way. Um, and now it's just, I just have more of an ease with it. And when I'm out, it's, um, I do the best I can. And if there's specific things I need, then I'll ensure that they're there. And um, I don't make other people run around like my mother, um, ensuring that there's only foods in the house that I can eat. Um, so yeah, it's it's about bringing God into the thing, into the mix for me. It's a very different state of being. And Regina, oh, really quick. Okay. Really quickly, I would say um, eat to nourish your body, and if you're consistent. Uh, people will figure it out. But if you're like, today I eat dairy, tomorrow I don't, you'll make them crazy. And yourself crazy. Thank you. Okay. The next question is not directed to any one person, and it's three-part. Like a bulimic, how do you do your 10th step? About 11th step, do you have difficulties about the mind noisy? Like a bulimic, we so are so perfectionist. What do you do about that? So it looks like your 10th step, uh, noisy mind during meditation or 11th step, and how do you not be perfectionistic? Who wants to tackle any one of all of those? Um, you know how you, like, you sit like a yogi and meditate? There's none of that in the 11th step. If you read the 11th step, there is no silent sitting described. It's, um, I think it starts out, um, we reviewed our plans for the day. Before we begin, we ask God um, to direct our thinking, especially asking that it be divorced from self-pity, dishonest, and self-seeking motives. So 
no silent sitting there. And then later on it says that we can pray for others, but we shouldn't play, pray selfishly for ourselves. No meditation oming there. And then um, it says if circumstances warrant, we ask our friends to join us in whatever we're doing. Most people don't seem to have those circumstances. Um, and then it says if we're members of religious denominations, then we attend to those matters. So that would be the only time that someone might actually do something that we normally think of as meditation. And then it tells us um, as we go through the day, we pause when agitated or doubtful and ask for the right thought or action, and we're constantly thinking, thy will be done. So um, there really is no need for um, quieting the mind. <laughs> which um, um, I actually do do a little meditation that does involve that, and I use a visualization, and um, it goes real imperfectly, and my mind wanders, and I come back. So anybody else? For me, I've stopped, tried to stop worshipping perfectionism as the point that I need to get to and just accepting where I am at. And it doesn't um, mean that I don't do a tenth step. It's just that I, I uh, allow myself to be human and I work. When I come up against something, I talk about it with my sponsor. So I'm not going into my imperfections alone, and I think that's really helped me. Oh, thank you. And for me, um, trying to overcome my perfectionism is more, is more about um, just learning to really listen to other people and listening to a higher power because I think perfectionism was, for me, it was just an aspect of me having the wrong ideas about what, what makes me valuable or what makes any person valuable. I think we're, you know... We're here, and and God loves all of us. You know, we're all beautiful creatures. So the idea that I need to do things to make myself even better or more perfect, I, you know, I think that's getting away from my higher power, and it means it's an indication that I need to connect with higher power and to pray or meditate. Okay. No, okay. We have a few more minutes for question and answers. So can you please explain the disorder around obsessing on clean, organic eating? I should tackle this one. So um, we think this is about um, the orthorexia that we were talking about. Um, the guy that uh, coined the term, he lived in a macrobiotic community, and he got, like, totally into being perfectly macrobiotic, and, like, he wouldn't ever, like, eat anything that wasn't on that very rigid food plan. And one day, this, like, spiritual person came to visit the community, and um, they went out somewhere, and he stopped and got a hamburger. And so, it, like, the... Um, the guy was like so shocked to see this, and he realized that maybe there was something wrong with what he was doing. Um, actually, I started purging because um, I would eat unhealthy food and be afraid of the um, toxins and chemicals. It wasn't like a weight management thing in the beginning. Then I figured out it could serve two functions. 
Um, but I was um, really, I had a health problem and I got a lot of benefit from eating organic food and vegan food and all of that. And so then, because I'm powerless over food and I couldn't do that perfectly, um, I would um, go on fasts or I lost the ability to fast and then I started purging. So um, if that is not enough, please see us after the meeting. Okay, we have one minute, so we have one more question. Uh, First speaker, Annie. How do you define your abstinence today? Do you have a food plan? Do you sponsor? Um, My food plan is three meals a day and two snacks if needed. And um, I do have a food plan. Um, it's, It's evolved over time. Um, and I love our literature that talks about dignity of choice and that's a really useful piece of um, literature to look at and I, the decisions I make around my food, I do it with a sponsor and um, discuss that with her so I'm not doing it on my own and do I sponsor? Uh, yes, I do and um, it's, I think... I probably get more from sponsoring than I give, um, and it's a very much a two-way street, uh, and it's a huge privilege. So thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, uh, at this point, we can open the meeting for open sharing. Um, as said earlier, for those who came in late, if you do choose to share up here because they're taping it, we have a, um, a waiver uh, release form. So please sign it when you get up here first. And you'll have three minutes to share. And then perhaps if we have time at the end, we can go over this pretty full basket if if folks are open to that. But in the meantime, um, I see that there's somebody waiting. So here, and just please make sure you sign. Hi, my name is Jody. Thank you so much for your shares. I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to say, but I am a grateful recovering, I think mainly bulimic, I'm not even sure if I'm anorexic or not. Um, I know my weight has fluctuated from 145 at my top weight to 112 at my lowest, and that was in a period of eating raw vegan. (laughs) So yeah, probably orthorexic too. And, um, you know, it's, I, someone said something about bringing God into that question. Am I being orthorexic? Am I taking good care of my health by being gluten-free, raw, whatever, you know? And I have to do that because I struggle with that. I do. I probably am orthorexic. Um, you know, yeah, I, I think I should be gluten-free. I should be dairy-free for because of the cows or, you know, I don't want the cows to live a miserable life. Um, so all of these things, you know, higher power, I need to pray about it. Uh, I heard the term the other day, caffeine bulimic, and that def- describes me. I've, I used caffeine to keep to control my weight and to keep from eating. It's like the perfect upper or diet pill for me. So I've been in the program a long time, and um, currently it's working the steps. 
taking the focus off the food and the body and the perfection and putting it on working those steps and trying to uncover my defects of character, my my um, you know my fears. I tend to go between shame and grandy pride and all that kind of stuff. That's what I'm after today is trying to uncover what makes me tick. So thank you. I've got a long name. <laughs> I'm Anna, recovering anorexic and compulsive. Um, first of all, thank you, all three of you, for speaking. Um, I've been in OA since 1990. Um, Recovering from anorexia, July 4th will be 24 years, one meal at a time, one snack at a time. Um, but what I'm noticing at this point in my recovery is that I, I actually, in the last few years, hit a top weight of 148, which I never believed I would ever do that. <laughs> I was always 30 pounds underweight, and that's how I was known. <laughs> um, so... That's why I'm so appreciative that I heard what I heard today because what I'm hearing is that um, what I'm hearing is that it's the disease can go many different directions, and um, so it's the other thing I should say out loud is I I don't say it very often, but because of the things I've heard here today, I do consider myself to be an emotional bulimic. Um, growing up, I could get myself so upset emotionally, it would affect the physical, so I couldn't even put anything in. And my sister thought I was vomiting in the bathroom because all I was doing was I was sitting in the bathroom because that was the only place in my whole house that nobody would bother me physically, emotionally, sexually, or anything. It was the only space. Um, so, yeah, I was in the bathroom a long time, <laughs> but I wasn't vomiting. Um, so I guess the what I'm hearing here is that I need to continue to work my program for me, um, regardless of what relationship I'm in, regardless of what I'm dealing with. I just need to continue to put one foot in front of the other. Thank you. Okay, thank you. I'm Amanda, compulsive overeater bulimic. 
Hi, and it's good to be here. And thank you, ladies, for sharing. And I apologize for um, being late. Um, <clears throat> I uh, committed to um, actually sharing on this panel, but I got here like 10 minutes ago. <laughs> anyway, um, I just I wanted to get up because I'm in and just take an opportunity. It's so funny. I battle in my head like, oh, no, I showed up late. Don't. You know, I waver between that um, prideful, like, oh, I'm here, to like, I'm not, you know, I, I need to just sit and close my mouth, you know? So I just wanted to participate. And um, I'm so grateful for this program, so grateful. And, um, you know, I started throwing up my food when I was 16 years old. And my disease took me everywhere to like not eating, to eating everything, to getting rid of all my food, all of the different facets. And um, I was able to get abstinent when I was 24. And, um, and you know, it's in the 12 and 12, the OA 12 and 12, and I think it's step three. And it talks about, um, I was trying to find it before I got here, but finding the best, the best solution as far as our food and feeding our bodies um, like through God. And, and I think what it talks about is there's, there's not, um, there's not one right way to do it. You know, it's what's the right way for you. And, um, and I love that about this program because there's no hard and fast rules about, you know, or a list of things you can and cannot eat or the things that you can and should eat, you know? And, and it, you, and for me, for me, um, as long as I'm accountable, as long as I'm not throwing up my food, as long as I'm um, staying present, and and when I get confused, um, I quiet myself down and ask, is this going to serve my recovery or is this going to serve my disease? And even asking that simple question, it can it can guide me in the right way. And... Um, my food has been perfectly imperfect, um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just so grateful for the opportunity to, um, to show up, participate, be honest, and, and share this journey with um, other people that have the same struggles as I do, and find solution, and um, enjoy life, show up, and enjoy life. So, um, that's all I got. Thanks. Anybody else who would like to share? We have a few more minutes, so maybe we can go through the questions. Someone else would like to share? Please make sure to sign the waiver when you come up here.
Is this the one? Yes. I'm Marion Compulsive Reader. And um, I was late and only tangentially here this weekend because I was so nervous about my appearance and my body. I did make it yesterday, but then I didn't make the opening greeting. But I'm here tonight, and I'm happy that I stepped into this workshop. And um, I have many friends who have bulimia, but I have not had that. But I have the other thing. You know, and they say, look for the similarities, not the differences, that we're all the same. And I have a year and a half free from sugar, which I feel really good about because I was such a fierce sugar addict, very much like the alcoholic. I've been told by alcoholic friends, you would make a wonderful alcoholic, Marian, because <laughs> I have the, so much fight in me. So the sugar was a big point, but I, I've noticed, and I think I have clarity now, on the fact that I, I worked with a wonderful sponsor, and we went deep into the big book. And she used to tell me, focus on the program, you'll lose the weight. Focus on the weight, you'll lose the program. And I had lost about, I still have lost, about 20, 25 pounds. I'm very much into the math of it. And, uh, but I think I've had a lot of revelations because I did have a binge the other night, not sugar, but off of my, I, I, I stuffed food over anxieties about coming here. And the sponsor I have is very much into the food and what you do with it and this and that. And we had a bit of a dust up because I was honest and told her that I had binged. Of course, she didn't make the right reaction. She said that I needed to call, you know, before I binge. And I know that's true. But when I go home to Palm Desert, I'm going to be working our OA steps now. I did them through the big book. But I just wanted to speak, say what's going on with me. And, um, you know, I hope I get better because I have a tendency to eliminate myself from the group. So I'm really glad I happened into this group, because I see a lot of love there, and I'm sorry that I missed the main speakers, but um, like I say, hopefully I'm on, you know, the right track, and I purchased tapes of things I missed, and it's just a miracle, the number I did on myself, why I didn't show up, but now I'm here, thank you. Still have some time for another open, sh- a couple more shares, please. Okay. Hi, I'm Katie, bulimic compulsive overeater. Um, I really appreciated your shares. Um, you know, when I came into this program and as a bulimic and restrictor and someone who's been on a diet since I was, I think my mom put me in Weight Watchers when I was like 10. So I've been on a diet a really, really long time. Um, I came in here and I have a sponsor who first told me to wear this program like a loose, warm blanket and no food plan, 
no diet, no lists, no restrictions from sugar or anything like that. I would have loved for her to give me that. That's my disease. Um, if I had come in here and gotten a sponsor that was really specific about what I could and couldn't eat, it would have fed right into what I've done my entire life, which was obsess over every calorie, every type of food, you know, protein, carb, whatever it was, um, organic, healthy, gluten-free, done it all. Um, I have probably 26, you know, Weight Watcher registration cards, <laughs> truly, because uh, I would go in and I would start, and then I'd start losing weight, and then I wouldn't go back if I had gained weight until I knew I was sure I had lost weight to get on the scale again and have it registered. Um, so, you know, this journey in OA has been a really, really, really big one for me because once you took the diets away, oh, I couldn't exercise either because exercising gave me the excuse to binge. So I had used CrossFit and really intense, hardcore exercising as a way to binge, and um, that was a purge. So I, I, you took away diet, you took away exercise, um, and all I had was this program, the we part of this program, my sponsor sending in my food list at night, which she would just write back XO. She wouldn't tell me that I shouldn't be eating this or that. Um, and through the last year, I've just become reliant upon a higher power because ultimately that's all I have. You take all of that stuff away, that's all I have. And I have to be okay if my higher power thinks I should be heavier or I should be lighter. My higher power, gratefully, has kept me at the same weight this whole time. Um, but that that's it. And this is the first time in a long, long time that I actually have a spiritual solution to this, this obsession that I have called uh, bulimia and food obsession. So thank you. Anyone else would like to op share? We still have time. Come on up. Um, I'm a Christine compulsive overeater and bulimic. Um, I guess recovering bulimic. Um, I wasn't sure if I was going to go in this meeting. I've always wanted to... Um, Oh, okay. Um, I always wanted to find meetings that were like to like for bulimia and uh, and well, I was never anorexic. I could, I love food too much to withhold. Um, but I started uh, bulimia when I was probably thirteen or fourteen um, after a failed diet because that's not possible. Um, but I have discovered that it's not really about. And it is about you know the bulimia, um, but it's more about the compulsive overeating. I am definitely a compulsive overeater. But it was reassuring because every time I would try to quit on my own, as soon as I started gaining weight, I'd be like, oh, forget it. I can't do it. I'd automatically turn back towards what I knew would work. Um, so when I walked in a meeting and I found out someone had, I, which I appreciated the um, identifying, because it does help. I saw someone who had like three years of recovery from bulimia and, and was like a normal weight, and I grasped and happy. Like, so those three, those three things, I was like, can you sponsor me? 
Um, and she was kind of the loose, warm blanket, too, where I did, all I had to do was, like, just... I hadn't paid attention to, like, food and, like, what I thought about food. Um, so she just had me do the color code. Um, and so I got to learn about what, like, messed my mind, um, what to avoid, just paying attention. But it wasn't restrictive at all. Very loving. Um, and as far as the weight thing, which has always turned me back to bulimia, I haven't weighed myself in a year. Um, I choose not to know because if I do know, if I lose a pound, then I'm like, oh, I get to eat that. Or if I, um, if I, it just doesn't serve a purpose. So my clothes will tell me if I've gained weight. Um, it just feels really great. It's a little weird going to the doctor's office saying, can I step on the scale backwards? Um, <laughs> but that's okay. I, I don't have to look at that person, you know, again after that. So it's okay. Um, but I'm getting so many gifts from the program. And I've got about almost think, five years abstinence from bulimia. Um, I cut out sugar because that is another, and it's amazing to, I got probably about almost a year of that as well. Um, so not eating my children's Halloween candy um, makes me a proud mom. <laughs> um, so anyway, this has been great. So thanks that you guys are all here. Actually, we have time for a very quick burning desire. If anybody has a burning desire, one or two minutes. Going once, going twice. Okay, it's sold. Okay, well, first of all, I'd like to thank our speakers for a fabulous uh, meeting. So, if you would join me. Everyone who spoke and all of you and. Thank you for uh, showing up to this meeting. We will close with the OA Promise, which is, um, that's what we call it now, the OA Promise. And that's the name of this actual conference, convention. I put my hand in yours. So um, those who know it, you can share it. And, and those who don't, follow those who do. I put my hand in yours. And together that we do what we can never do alone. No longer is there a sense of hopelessness. No longer must we each depend upon our own unsteady, steady willpower. We are all together now, reaching out our hands for power and strength, greater than ours. And as we join hands, we find love and understanding beyond our wildest dreams. Keep coming back. It works if we work it. Thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of the convention, and don't forget tonight's the uh, talent show. Thank you, ladies. Thank you so much for stepping in.